We find people that basically can't make enough uh, to, to, to eat before they go into the fields. I don't believe that. I think that you're looking at other places that are not Central Romana. People actually who focus on and go like getting an orgasm never get one. Pull up your socks and figure out what you're going to do. <laughs> Any chance we'll ever get to be a completely red state? Oh, yeah. And for the future, it's always uncertain. Wherever but more uncertain now. And listen, Blue Ivy is six years old. Beyonce's Jason, she tried to outbid me on a painting. Everybody in Atlanta right now at the Louis Vuitton store, if you black, don't go to Louis Vuitton in today. Five, four, That's why you need three, to take a meeting two. with Kanye West, Bernard Arnault. Welcome back to Grubstakers. This is part two of our in-depth look at the Kennedy family. If you haven't listened to our part one yet, please do so. Uh, I'm Sean P. McCarthy, joined today by my fellow viewers of YouTube documentaries about the JFK assassination. Yogi Paywall. Steve Jeffries. Andy Palmer. And so where we left you on part one, Jack Kennedy had just had his own supposedly heroic crash and rescue from PT-109 during World War II in the Pacific mm -hmm. uh, in 1943. Uh, and we finished the recording of that part one, and we realized that we had to do a bit more research to continue on the story. So Andy and I read Seymour Hersh's book, The Dark Side of Camelot. Uh, which is about how jealous Seymour Hersh is of how much pussy President Kennedy got. Uh, but it, it does it does have some interesting dirt on the family that we missed on our part one episode. So I think before we continue the chronological story of the family, we should just back up and mention a couple of the stories that we missed on part one. Uh, one of the, the ones that I found most amusing was um, when uh, JFK's father, Joe Kennedy, was ambassador to England during World War II and was in London. Mm -hmm. uh, Seymour Hersh uh, reports that he used his position at the embassy to ship and sell whiskey back and <laughs> forth from the United States. Uh, so, um, you know, that was just one of them. He also mentions that, uh, unsurprisingly, JFK's grandfather, Honey Fitz, uh, on his mother's side, was the mayor of Boston and was uh, very corrupt and was apparently investigated by the Congress for uh, vote rigging scandals of Aww. this sorts of stuff. But um, Andy, I understand you saw a couple other uh, scandals around there. Well, yeah, with Honey Fitz, uh, uh, Hirsch speculates that that's where Joe learned a lot of uh, kind of the inside politics tricks. Um, oh, really? But... Yeah, so I think I think in the last episode I mentioned I touched briefly on uh, the bootlegging allegations and said it's it's hard to say you know uh, some people said that they worked with him but um, uh, the the lady who wrote when Harry met Sally couldn't find any evidence <laughs> that Joe was a bootlegger uh, but Hirsch but actually is, lays out she is well respected in the Kennedy assassination research mm -hmm. community. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Everyone wants research done like how she gets research done while orgasming. Right. There's that scene where Kevin Costner is in the diner uh, discussing the possibilities of how they would take out Kennedy. And then he starts having an orgasm when he eats a sandwich. Mm -hmm. You can't fake a Kennedy assassination. Oh, yeah, you can. You can totally, you can totally <laughs> fake a Kennedy assassination. What are you talking about? Plenty of people fake assassinations all the time. No way. I'll do it right now. Oh, oh. <laughs> And then his head goes back into the left and while he just ejaculates all over the place. <laughs> like a squib explodes out of his head <laughs> as he comes. He takes a ketchup packet and pokes a couple holes on it and just slaps the back of his head. <laughs> That's my Kennedy theory is that he's still alive. Um, it was all squibs. 
The CIA and the Kennedys can't be friends. Mm-hmm. Yes, they can. <laughs> no, the uh, the assassination thing is always going to be in the back of your mind. <laughs> the magic wad theory. <laughs> Like, no man can be with with the CIA without coming in his pants. Trust me, man. The magic wad <laughs> theory totally gets done. So, uh, I haven't seen Harry Met Sally in so long. Uh, I've only seen bits. So, during Prohibition, it, it was found that uh, Joe Kennedy had used medical permits. Uh, this is actually towards the end of Prohibition mm-hmm. uh, to avoid a lot of the restrictions on alcohol importation. Uh, so, you know, it's kind of like, it, it, it's sort of like, I remember in, in Washington before they legalized, um, that if you wanted to buy stuff, you knew a guy who was a supplier to the medicinal right. uh, community. It was that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are some sketchy reports of Joe having smuggled 800 barrels of whiskey into Boston in 1925. Those, what? that one's kind of hard to verify. Um, but while there's lack of documentation, um, uh, Hirsch said that Justice Department prosecutors, CIA operatives, and FBI agents all insisted that they knew Joe Kennedy had been a prominent bootlegger during Prohibition. And one of the reasons mm-hmm. it's possible that there's no documentation is that a lot of this stuff was collected by Hoover. Um, oh. He liked to collect as much dirt as he could on different politicians and use it for blackmail. And then when he died, uh, the uh, people came into his secretary's room and she was just burning all of his like personal <laughs> files uh presumably with his best blackmail material um but according to uh cartha deloach who was a deputy director of the fbi under hoover he said uh i do know that he had associates in organized crime who respected him i only knew him through mr hoover he had considerable experience in the bygone era of smuggling and that's how he made his fortune according to mr hoover uh the mobster frank costello told associates that uh, Kennedy was responsible for the shipping of liquor uh, to the United States from abroad, which is consistent with his um, his job as a manager for uh, a shipping company. Gotcha. Um, and then uh, Harold Clancy, a former employee of Joe's, uh, said that after Prohibition, Joe was said to have hired people from Murder Incorporated, which was a uh, uh, de facto assassin, like uh, enforcement wing of the Italian mob, uh, yeah, to yeah. deal with, quote, gangster-led unions that were threatening labor trouble. Uh, and th- this is more going from his uh, his bootlegging to his mob connections. Uh, uh, Abraham Lincoln Maravitz of Chicago, who was a lawyer for many mobsters, said, uh, quote, I knew about that era. I represented some people. Uh, Kennedy was bootlegging out of there in New England, and he knew all these guys. He had mob connections. Kennedy couldn't have operated the way he did without mob approval. They'd have knocked him off, too. And a funny thing about Abraham Lincoln uh, Maravitz is that after being... Uh, a mob lawyer. He was appointed to be a U.S. District Court judge in 1963 <laughs> uh, by Jack. And uh, according to interviews with Meyer Lansky around 1927, uh, one of Joe's, the interview was around 1927, it was later, but hmm. uh, one of Joe's shipments had apparently been hijacked by Lansky's men uh, that resulted in a shootout that killed 11 men. And uh, Kennedy is said to have lost a fortune from the hijack and held a grudge against many organized crime bosses that he may have passed on to Bobby, which might explain uh-huh. why the family had such strong mob connections and Bobby went so hard <laughs> against certain sure. mob bosses. Right. Um, but yeah, so that's those are uh, some extra details. My father could have bought me a second pool with that money you took from me, <laughs> Sam G and Connie, you son of a bitch. Oh my God, the Kennedy spent so much time in pools. 
they did love the water. They, yeah, more on that later. Yeah. That, oh, yeah. That stuff on Hoover makes sense, though. That dude loves dirt. If you need something clean, get a Hoover. <laughs> Vacuum joke. There, There is pool stuff. I was surprised. <laughs> I was surprised to find out uh, that goes all the way to the Kennedy assassination. Really? Uh, yeah. It's... Uh, uh, that's a that's a teaser for uh, the next episode or the episode after that, depending on how long this one takes. <laughs> right. It's true that Bob Dylan got through the Kennedy assassination in 16 minutes, but we're not one of the greatest songwriters of all time, okay? <laughs> we need at least seven hours worth mm -hmm. of episodes. Mm -hmm. That is actually my primary source for most of this information is the Bob Dylan song, uh, Murder right. Most Foul. If you need to fact check anything on this episode, just look it up on Spotify. Wait, I thought that Bob Dylan song was about crows and birds. Right. <laughs> Yogi's on fire tonight. I, I like it. I like it. <laughs> those are those are my favorite episodes. When you just know Yogi's killing with half the audience and actively pissing off the other half to the point where they're like, I'm about to turn off the episode. It reminds me of like the, che the cheese riff. <laughs> I couldn't stop doing cheese bits on that one. And honestly, yeah. I, I, I'm better for it. So uh, according to my research, um, quote, hush little children, you'll understand. The Beatles are coming. They're going to hold your hand, slide down the banister, go get your coat, ferry cross the mercy and go for the throat. Uh, there's three bums coming, all dressed in rags. Pick up the pieces and lower the flags. I'm going to Woodstock. It's the Aquarian age. Then I'll go to Altamont and sit near the stage. Wow, you're uh, you're singing it better than he did, Andy. <laughs> it's, it's amazing what Dylan lyrics do when they have a confident singer on them. <laughs> that's the whole song. No, that's just uh, one. No, verse. no, yeah, that's right. an excerpt from a 15-minute song. Got 16 right, yeah. I minute and 57-second song. You know, I know it seems okay. seems wild, but like Neil Young and Bob Dylan, and like I know I don't know if they're related or not, but like that. Like guitar, uh, harmonica, white man singers, they're all the same mm. person to me. Like, I know it seems real rude, but like, anytime people are like, yo, you know that popular uh, Bob Dylan or like Bruce Springsteen or Neil, Neil Young song? And I'm like, yeah, you know, the one about the railroad and or the government? <laughs> they're like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I don't, I, sure. <laughs> I agree with you 100%. <laughs> Actually, you guys want to hear how uh, Bob Dylan might uh, tie into this episode subject? Sure. Um, there's a conspiracy theory that the author Thomas Pynchon, or that, well, first of all, that Bob Dylan's motorcycle accident was a warning to him from the CIA. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, and this relates to the author um, Thomas Pynchon, who wrote these like really kind of postmodern books that have references to the Kennedy assassination and such in them. Um, his friend, Thomas Pynchon's friend, was a guy named uh, Richard Farina, mm. who apparently was also friends with Bob Dylan and taught Bob Dylan a lot of like what he knew in the early 60s. Uh, Richard Farina dies in a motorcycle accident in 1966 after becoming a skeptic of the Kennedy assassination, mm. like a public skeptic. Sure. Uh, he dies in a motorcycle accident, and then sh around that time, Bob Dylan has a motorcycle accident where he... Um, is seriously injured but not killed and then he shuts up about the kennedy assassination until a year ago hmm. uh so and then you know richard pynchon or uh thomas pynchon 
makes all these, you know, coded references in his books and like is like only has three photos of himself available that you can find throughout his entire life. And they all date from like the 50s and 60s. He's like even more secretive than Salinger. And some people suspect that he worked for like military intelligence or the Navy or like, you know, he was like uh, involved in all that. So then this all goes into there's some quote from Thomas Pynchon uh, that people think is reflecting on both Bob Dylan and Richard Farina, where he says, all prophets are eventually silenced. Either they are taken out or they are given enough of a warning that they get the message. (laughs) I'm I'm paraphrasing the quote, but it's just so amusing to me to imagine like the CIA uh, killing his friend on a motorcycle accident and then giving Bob Dylan a warning on a motorcycle accident. And then finally, Bob Dylan's like, my handler is dead. I can release my, release my 16-minute song now. Well, here's, here's what the CIA was trying to silence. Play me a song, Mr. Wolfman Jack. Play it for me and my long Cadillac. Play me that, only the good die young. Take me to the place Tom Dooley was hung. Play St. James Infirmary and the Port of King James. If you want to remember... You better write down the names. Mm-hmm. Play Edit James to play I'd Rather Go Blind. And then literally the, half the song is his Spotify playlist. Hmm. Yeah, but it, Andy, had he said that in 1966, they would have stormed the White House. It was a different <laughs> country then. Yeah, so some extra uh, uh, details about uh, Joe as the ambassador. Um, he he got the... Amb- Papa Joe, oh no. Papa Joe. One of his tricks for getting the ambassadorship was uh, befriending FDR's son, Jimmy Roosevelt. Hmm. And uh, Joe said about Jimmy that he was so crazy for women, he would screw a snake going uphill. <laughs> and so the way he buttered up Jimmy was just getting him fucked, at, like constantly, right. which Joe was already doing. I think we we might have talked about that a little bit. Uh, Joe, actually, uh, another fact about Joe is that uh, there's this crazy story where they had Lyndon Johnson over at the at the Kennedy compound, mm. and I think this was before uh, the election. Uh, so Lyndon was just a senator at the time and Joe arrived with a 17 year old girl and then went upstairs and had loud sex with her (sighs) that everyone downstairs could hear. It was his like, you know, Lyndon Johnson liked to famously pull out his dick to intimidate people. I think that was Joe kind of trying to get one over on him. Um, so the way, the weird thing about that story wasn't, Joe's wife present at the house or something. I, I can't remember exactly oh, if that probably. is true or not, but it seems very bizarre. I don't think he cared. Right. Uh, he was getting his kids to help him get laid. Um, I think Kennedy was a little more careful. Like apparently Kennedy only um, got his dick wet when uh, Jackie was out of the White House. I like that this the Seymour Hirsch book, it made it sound like Jack's life in the White House was like Metal Gear Solid trying to avoid his wife. He's like, he gets like one of those like exclamation point, right? <laughs> the what is like? Yes, it's this shouldn't be here, and then they just walk right. by it. Yeah, he's like, uh, so he sets up a perimeter. He's got like the little uh, 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 looking glasses to zoom in and spy on his wife in the the rose garden. What's new, pussycat? What I say? I said the soul of a nation has been torn away. Mm. it's it's the boomers uh on their deathbed finally confronting the fact that they allowed their king to die as kevin costner <laughs> implored them so famously 
They forgot their dying king, and now they're reckoning with that as they pass into the next life. But Sean, these lyrics, you gotta, you gotta admit, have some truth to them. He came to town like a midwinter storm. He rode through the field so handsome and strong. His eyes was his tools, and his smile was his gun. But all he had come for was having some fun. If it hadn't been for Cotton Eye Joe, I'd been married a long time ago. Where did you come from? Where did you go? Where did you come from, Cotton Eye Joe? And that that that's that's some solid proof right there, Sean. That's that's Nobel Prize winning poetry. <laughs> so uh, a few more details about uh, Joe as uh, the ambassador. Apparently, one of the reasons he uh, uh, was such a big fan of Hitler is he was convinced that um, if America got into the war with Germany, it would destroy American capitalism. Mm-hmm. I think he was just one of the people who were very common among the ruling class, um, and it's kind of been hushed up since, but who who supported Hitler more or less uh, because they thought he was the bulwark against Bolshevism. Mm. Um, and apparently, uh, the German generals, uh, Halder and Beck had a plan to, uh, overthrow Hitler if he invaded Czechoslovakia Mm. and they contacted the British foreign ministry to alert them, uh, to the plot while it was being planned. And Joe found out about this and invited some reporters over and told them about it, quote, off the record. What? Um, yeah. And it's. Uh, Hirsch speculates that uh, Joe might have been trying to sabotage their potential assassination attempt by telling the press uh, unofficially or, you know, off the record, but hoping that they might print something about it to tip off the Nazis. Um, But that the the assassination plan, of course, never went through. And I think uh, those two guys were involved in the uh, July plot and uh, died shortly after that. Joe was trying to accelerate the schedule of them getting hung by meat hooks in a meat, yeah. <laughs> in a meat locker. Go against Hitler? Well, piano wire for you. <laughs> uh, he also kind of tried to become president in 1940. Uh, he had a bunch of sycophantic journalists write stories about the possibility of Joe Kennedy jumping into the 1940 Democratic primary. Mm-hmm. Uh, and FDR responded to this by using his own kind of back channels to air a lot of Joe's dirty laundry. Hmm. And uh, FDR kept Joe on as ambassador of England, despite, you know, saying in, you know, to many of his aides that Joe was a fascist. Uh, he kept F, uh, Joe on as ambassador to England, to isolate him from American politics and uh, circumvent Joe by sending his own representatives to England to report on the situation without even meeting with him. Right. Um, and uh, Joe eventually endorsed FDR after a uh, murky meeting in the White House uh, over dinner. Uh, one version says that FDR offered to endorse uh, Joe Jr. for uh, Massachusetts governor in 42. One version says FDR offered uh, to back a Joe senior presidential campaign in 1944. Another version says FDR threatened to make uh, certain tax returns public, uh, <laughs> as I'm sure was a big threat to Joe Kennedy. And one version, which seems most likely, says that uh, MI5 was bugging Joe and passing their dirt via Churchill to FDR. Oh, really? Then included things such as Joe being critical to the president. Yeah, that was one of my favorite stories in the Hirsch book was basically, so Joe finally maneuvers to get recalled as ambassador and he gets to go back to America. And the idea is that he's going to run against FDR in 1940. And he's like wildly critical of FDR to everybody. And then suddenly he has this dinner with FDR and then he 
cuts a radio ad endorsing FDR. So I just liked uh, FDR completely cucking him. Uh, we don't know the exact circumstances, but Hirsch says that FDR was actually using J. Edgar Hoover at this point to look into Joe Kennedy as well. And then after FDR's death, uh, Joe Kennedy kind of butters up to Hoover and tries to win him over. Um, but it is interesting to see those those kinds of power politics. You know, uh, the the half man <laughs> conquers the Irish mind. Uh, apparently, uh, after Roosevelt's re-election, Kennedy gave an interview to the Boston Globe saying, democracy is finished in England. Uh, don't let anybody tell you that you can get used to incessant bombing. There's no way in England they aren't getting it. It's a question of how long England can hold out. I'm willing to spend all I've got to keep us out of the war. There's no sense in getting in. We'd just be holding the bag. And that ended his presidential ambitions. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> and a couple weeks later, FDR had a meeting with Joe. Uh, over Thanksgiving, and only 10 minutes in, FDR invited Eleanor in, told Joe to step outside of the room, and then told her, I never want to see that man again as long as I live. Get him out of here. <laughs> and because uh, the train wasn't arriving for a couple hours, Eleanor had to, like, drive around with Joe Kennedy in the car. Wow. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, that, that was actually reported by Gore Vidal, of all people. So this takes us to, you know, we talked uh, last time about Jack and his PT-109 story. One one detail I found out later uh, on the uh, looking up the Kennedy Library is that uh, one of the things in the Kennedy Library Museum is the coconut from the PT-109 story. Jack had it uh, sealed in resin and given a base and used it as a, a paper weight mm -hmm. on the Oval Office table. That's how up his own ass he was. <laughs> about this coconut that wasn't his idea wasn't like was the idea of all of his you know co-people but was kind of the heart of the the jfk legend mm -hmm. um and he wanted to remind people of it by just having it prominently sitting on his desk yeah and uh one other thing that i thought was interesting just from the book uh last thing about joe kennedy was apparently while he was ambassador in london he also continued to illegally trade stock on insider information and Hirsch has a rather amusing passage where I guess he was at a dinner talking to some lawyer and he like asked if it was illegal for government employees to trade on stock at the time <laughs> and was told, yes, it was, <laughs> and then uh, continued doing it secretly. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think he, uh, <laughs> he makes the case pretty effectively that uh, Joe Kennedy was uh, not a nice guy and most of what you've heard about him is true. Yeah, everything from like mob connected to fascist is all right. It's all there in the in the tapestry that is Joe Kennedy, of course. Mm. But you know, at least uh, when MI6 was following him, that was that was like what those people were trained to do: is follow Irish people around <laughs> and break into their cars and rifle through their papers. <laughs> that was the job. Yep. Thanks for listening to our free episode of Grubstakers, the podcast about billionaires. You can continue this conversation over on our premium podcast at patreon.com slash grubstakers, where you can hear more about the Kennedy family as we move on to Joe Kennedy, aka Big Papa. While you're here, don't forget to like, subscribe, comment on the show, and then check us out on grubstakers.net to find out more information about this show and other more allegedly evil billionaires. Maybe a couple nice ones.